Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Our podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. Why download the app? Because life is messy. We get stressed, anxious, have trouble sleeping, we work too hard, we deal with conflict, our hearts get broken, we worry about the state of the world. We meditate because we're human. Our app gives you hundreds of meditations from over 30 leading experts. It helps a lot. And if you haven't tried the app yet, you can now try it for free and explore a starter series plus a sample of some of our favorite guided meditations in the Discover Collection. You may also want to check out our new meditation collections this year. Mindful eating, work, authentic leadership, and a special collection just for college students. There's also a new mindful work and sleep basics course. If you've already got the app, check out our new unguided meditation timer where you can create your own meditations with or without our brand new, pretty amazing music tracks. And don't forget the eight free meditations on Alexa. Just ask her to enable Meditation Studio. Today's guest is Tanya Pajevic, author of the book, The Secret Life of Grief. Tanya was inspired to write this book after her mom died suddenly and she felt completely alone and unprepared to handle the feelings that would ambush her after her mom's death. She realized she didn't have any good role models or even rituals for grieving. She felt like she had to keep it together. In this interview, she shares how difficult it was to deal with friends who might have felt the grieving was over after the funeral ended and what it took for her to stay in touch with her feelings and inner compass as she grieved. She explores how to grieve and move forward after any kind of loss, how personal the process is, and how her writing and meditation practice really helped her. She's incredibly honest, authentic, and heartfelt as she shares her very personal story. Now, here's Tanya. Tanya, welcome to Untangle. We're so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks so much, Patricia. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you wrote this beautiful book called The Secret Life of Grief. And I want to tell our listeners a little bit about what inspired you to write the book and kind of what your journey was like after your mom passed away and you began experiencing the grief that you experienced. Absolutely. The reason that I wrote this book is because after my mom passed away, I kind of went through those first couple of weeks that we all go through when we lose someone we loved, where there's a lot of support in our lives, you know, and then after the funeral, what tends to happen is that most everyone else tends to go back to their lives. But for those of us who've lost someone, that life has essentially ended. We've lost a loved one. And so then we need to figure out how to move forward and how to grieve. And what I found is that we don't really have a cultural model for that in the U.S. As such, we tend to grieve at home alone without support necessarily, without rituals that could help guide us and help us navigate those tricky weeks or months or years when we're grieving. And so I wrote this book because I was kind of looking for um, a writer. So one of the things that I do when I encounter problems, I look for books where people talk about what helped them. And after my mom died, I picked up a lot of grief memoirs, but I found that a lot of the grief memoirs stopped after the funeral. 
And that was really what I wanted information on. I wanted to know, well, how do I do this? How do I navigate mm -hmm. this next stretch? What's really interesting is something you just said, which is life ended. And so in a way, it's not just that your mom's life ended, but your life with your mom ended as well. And it's that feeling of how you navigate your new life without your mom. And yeah. so what was that life like for you as you started navigating those waters? Did you get depressed? Did you, I mean, you obviously had a lot churning inside of you after the, even the first couple of weeks. What was that like? One of the pieces that I really found myself struggling with was the fact that I was no longer a daughter. So yeah. that was a loss of that, that particular piece of identity because my father had passed away 20 years prior to that. So suddenly, you know, I'm surrounded by friends who were talking about holidays with their family and their parents. And I had to really come to terms with, well, okay, I'm now the matriarch of my family at age 42. That was another sort of strange identity shift. Yeah. And at the time, my kids were really young. So what I have found for myself, I definitely tend to be an introvert and I definitely need time and space to process emotions and process whatever, navigating whatever challenges are going on in my life. But my kids were so young at the time. So this was almost five years ago. My kids were four and seven. My hands were full on with day-to-day -day dropping off my younger son at preschool, doing two school drop-offs and pickups a day, and just having to be out in the world and on when I felt so vulnerable and so fragile. What I found is that grief really comes in waves. We don't know necessarily what's going to trigger a wave of loss or what's going to trigger a memory or what's going to trigger anything that comes up and then it's really hard. You're out in the world and someone asks you about your holiday and suddenly you're trying to figure out, well, do I tell them that my mom just passed away? How do you navigate all of these social interactions when you're in such a raw and vulnerable place? I've experienced what you're talking about with the waves. You sort of get ambushed when you see something or something triggers you. And I'm just wondering when you're in that raw grief, is it mixed with a lot of other feelings that you have in your life about your family or things that you want to be different in your own life? Grief is such a funny word in a way because it's not just that sadness. It's hard to isolate it, but it's also all of these other things that are mixed in with that grief and that person. So how did you navigate that? I think you're so right. I mean, there's so much that comes up. In essence, you're being asked to reconcile a lifetime's worth of emotions. Right. Yeah. For me, writing has always been so important to me. That's one of the ways journaling. And I know for a lot of people, when they've lost someone and they're in those intense stages of grief, just taking a pen to paper and writing down without editing, without stopping is so important. Uh, meditation, as you know, all of the fabulous work that you're doing here is letting it come through, allowing it, not fighting it, riding those waves are some of the biggest pieces. Right. Like not feeling like you have to stop feeling the grief, but just being with it. Is that something that you learned to do? I think being with it. And I think also providing it, creating a container for myself. For example, what I would do is I would get up earlier before my kids woke up and I still do this. And then I would have the time to meditate and also to kind of let whatever was there move through. and. At that time, when I was in that, I'd say those first couple, that first month, I've already lost so much of the detailed memories from those first couple of months. But those first couple of months when it's really raw and really intense, I remember maybe two or three times a day since I work from home, 
maybe take 15 minutes to crawl into bed and just, okay, here's another space. Here's another container where I can feel these feelings so that they don't ambush the rest of my life. Mm, I think that's a great point that you just have this sort of sanctuary to feel your feelings and you don't feel like you're just racing through everything with that like gnawing feeling of sadness and grief. How do you define grief actually? And I'm sort of curious too, what we all share in common when we grieve and what are some of the ways that our grief is different depending on different circumstances? So defining grief, I think this is a tricky one. And I think we tend to think of grief when we're talking about the death of a loved one or a loss. But the truth is, is we have so many multiple losses in our lives in so many different areas, potentially on a daily basis, transitioning from one task to the next, watching your child become an adolescent and grieving the loss of that young child, a friendship that has ended or that has changed, you know, that no longer serves a purpose that it once served. And so all of these losses, I think that these are all small griefs, all small losses that when we're able to allow them to move through, I think that it's a little easier. But what happens, you know, we all have busy full lives. And of course, we're not able to reconcile every single piece of those. And so what I think tends to happen is that when we do have a major loss, a grief around a divorce, really identity shift, it could be anything. It's not necessarily a death. But what happens is that a lot of those other small losses often will come to the surface to be dealt with as well, or they will intensify the grief that we're feeling. I believe that that's one of the pieces, you know, that we share in common. I don't think anyone is isolated in that they're able to only be grieving the particular loss that's in front of them. The example that I think of is when we lose someone, imagine a couple who's been married for 50 years and let's say the wife passes away. Well, part of what that husband is now forced to deal with is the loss of his life, as it were, with his spouse. And one of the other pieces that really tends to happen, particularly in the U.S., is that because so many of us don't know how to talk about grief with other people, They think that they're being kind by not mentioning their loved one. But then that becomes an additional loss on top of the original loss. Because the person feels that they're not being heard? The additional loss is when family and friends don't talk about Mm. the person that they've lost. Or, you know, it could be same with divorce, right? Suddenly that person's out of the picture. No one talks about them. And then that becomes another loss that can keep us stuck and can keep us from moving forward and healing, moving Mm -hmm. into healing a bit of that. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's like what you were saying. It's like we live in this country as if our grief is a private thing. In your book, you talk a lot about this need to suffer alone here, but there are grief rituals that you've looked at around the world where community is really a big part of the process. Tell us a little bit about that exploration for you. I love that you said community because I really do think community is the key that can help us move forward here in the U.S., moving people out of that isolated place where we often end up in grief. We do have some rituals here. For example, the Jewish community sits Shiva, and there is a lot of support in that community. I'll tell you just from my own personal experience, my parents immigrated from the former Yugoslavia. And as a child, we went back and forth quite often. And so I 
experienced some of those grief rituals. So for example, when I was a child, someone passed away and they had very clear rituals. They covered the mirrors. There were very specific church services on a set number of days. There was no music. People came, you know, people wore black. So for example, just mourning attire, wearing black is something that we've lost in this country. But that really served a purpose because it immediately identified this person is mourning and they are grieving and they need support. It kind of took down that wall that's between us where we're so isolated and acknowledged in the wider community that there is a loss here, there is a grief, and people were able to then continue to support that. When you mentioned Shiva, I think Shiva is just three days. And what you're saying is, no, our grief isn't just in that first week or three weeks even, but everybody may experience grief differently. And Mm -hmm. if we want others to share in that process with us, how do we do that? How do we either let them know? Is that appropriate? What do we do? That's a really great question. And I think that this is one of the paradoxes of grief is that what ends up happening is those of us who've lost someone essentially need to teach the people around us what we need. We need to teach them how to support us. So for example, it can be as simple as sitting down and saying, hey, I really need to talk about my spouse who's passed away, or it's okay to bring up this person's name during the holidays just because they're no longer here. They're still here with me in my heart. So we can do it that way. Of course, that's a great start is just small education on the one-on-one level. Local hospices are great with having local grief support groups. And so I think that that's Especially in the initial stages, that's a really fabulous resource for people to reach out to. Most of them are open, I believe, are open to the larger community. And then I think that it really kind of comes down to what you said was so important when you said everyone grieves differently. It doesn't look the same for one person as it does the next. There are commonalities, but it's so different for everyone. And it really does come down to figuring out, well, what is right for you? What is the support you need? And then trying to find those resources or create those resources or perhaps really follow the rituals that have meaning for you. So do you think that we need to explore these things before we're in a grief state so that we're prepared? Ideally, I think that would be fabulous, but I also know a close friend of mine does a lot of work on death education. And I know, you know, some folks are willing to go there. Some folks are willing to talk about, to fill out paperwork for do not resuscitate orders. And some folks just really aren't. I mean, I think as with anything, it really comes down to knowing yourself and being clear on what are the ways that you support yourself? What is most helpful to you? And essentially having a community and having support in place because we obviously have no idea when we're going to need that. Well, and I think it also syncs up with having a contemplative practice like Mm -hmm. meditation or what is one's contemplative practice, whether it's prayer or just sitting in stillness or having a more formal meditation practice. And you talked about depression, but that you danced you're certainly a writer, so writing really helped you. But you also, you had a meditation practice. Can you share a little bit how meditation helped you with your whole process and what your practice is like now? Yeah, absolutely. What meditation has done for me is it's allowed me the space and it's allowed me a container really to acknowledge everything along this wild ride. In those first initial tough few months, it 
really kept me sane, I would say, you know, it gave me a space. So as I was saying earlier, to be able to let these grief, let these feelings move through me. Now, I'm not saying I was meditating at that point in any sort of perfect way, but it basically, it just allows me to come to terms with whatever it is that's going on and let allowing it to, as best I can, to pass through without becoming too attached to it. And it allows me to stay in tune with my inner self and my inner compass as much and, as possible. Yes. Yeah. And you, you talked about going to a retreat and I don't know if that was like right after your mom died, but you talked about like gratitude and forgiveness meditation. Like how has your practice changed over time and what is your particular meditation practice? I'll be really honest, say in those first few months, my practice was literally just trying to keep it together, was just allowing the grief to move through. And that was it. A friend of mine had turned me on to a teacher because I was kind of searching about like, I need a mentor. I don't know how to do this. And I would watch his 20 minute videos, watch a meditation on grief or watch a meditation on whatever it was that I felt like I needed that day. It's kind of changed over time. In the beginning, it really, the goal was just to get through that 15 minutes or to get through that hour of pain or whatever it was. And now what my practice is, is um, meditating, getting up before my kids and getting grounded and getting clear with my intention for the day. I don't have a particular school. I feel like it's always changing and evolving. Yeah. So you've kind of created your own practice. Basically following my breath. And yeah. you mentioned in the book that you integrate gratitude into your practice and that mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about forgiveness meditation. How does that tie into your current? Yeah. When I was at this Kripalu retreat, so the teacher talked about is we talked quite a bit about fear and gratitude being the antidote to fear. And so he shared this really fabulous meditation with us that I still use where it's literally trying to remember the first piece is imagining all the people in your life that you're grateful for, just letting them come into your mind and fill the field before you. And so the next step of it is being grateful for the chair that's supporting you, for the home that you're in, for all of the food in your fridge, for all of the wonderful, wonderful things that we have. And then the third step is gratitude for your body, being thankful for my lungs that able to keep me breathing without anything that I'm doing. Every small thing, grateful for your eyes, whatever it is, even if whatever health issues that you have. And I love this meditation and I come back to it when I'm in a place where I start to go down that path and I'm like, ooh, okay, it's time to, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's time to pull that one out again. Yeah. My sense of the forgiveness is an ongoing process. There's so much I've forgiven with my childhood and my parents. And then here and there, of course, there's always something new that's coming up that's acknowledging it and allowing it to move through. Yeah, you talked in the book about how it helped you to acknowledge the whole story yeah. of someone who's died. Like you talked about when someone dies, we sort of put them on this pedestal and we think about the good things and then we start to create a vision of the challenging things. And you said our brain's hardwired to remember things in a certain way. And so how did you go about like creating a whole narrative or a new narrative to get through your grief? Well, writing was certainly one way that I did it, but I love Rick Hansen's work mm -hmm. area. And so that's, I believe what I was referring to talking about what we're focusing on is strengthening those neural pathways. And one of the things that I learned when I was doing my research about grief is that oftentimes folks who tend to get stuck in the grieving process will really latch on to, oh, she was so wonderful. She was absolutely the most fabulous person in the world. And of course, we're all human. We all have flaws. And it's almost just 
ignoring all of those tricky times or any sort of bits of tension or whatever it was that happened in that relationship with someone. And when we do that, when we kind of latch onto just this one side of the story, it tends to really keep us stuck. And I've really noticed that in a lot of the grief workshops that people lead and as well as some of the ones that I've led myself where an important part of the process of being able to acknowledge the larger story and move through it is acknowledging all of the intricacies that come with that relationship, with that person, with that storyline. I love that. That's got to be super helpful because it makes the person more real for you. Mm -hmm. So is there anyone now that you look to for inspiration as you kind of go through the daily losses or different when you get ambushed by grief now? Do you have an inspirational person or quotes or something that just helps you to remember where you want to be. So many, so many. It's always changing. I do try and start my day with an intention for each day. I mean, my wall is filled with quotes in front of me, if you can see my office. (laughs) But it's just trying to remember and doing the research with whatever challenges that I'm faced with. It's always changing. It's sort of the same with People often will ask me, well, what are the grief rituals that helped most helped you? And even that is always changing. You know, it's been five years since my mom passed. And of course, I'm in a completely different place than I was when I wrote that book. Something small like this weekend, oh, I was really thinking about her because this is sort of the season and, you know, and just and missing her, wishing I could have a conversation with her. And so, well, we pulled out one of our old recipes and we made that. And that was just a small ritual to allow sort of space for her and her memory and, you know, mm-hmm. tell some stories about her. Um, so that we could then pass her legacy down to my kids so that they'll remember that as well. That's beautiful. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for being on Untangle today. This is great. And I loved your book. And yeah, this is such an important topic. Thanks so much for having me, Patricia. It was great to talk with you. Thanks so much to Tanya for sharing her personal story. The Secret Life of Grief is available at all major booksellers. To learn more about Tanya, go to tanyapajevic.com. T-A-N-J-A-P-A-J-E-V-I-C.com. If you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email me at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to download Meditation Studio in the App Store. We'll see you next time.